Hello, everybody, and welcome. You are listening to the LL Research Law of One podcast, and this is episode number 87. Today, we are doing a little bit of a special podcast. Uh, It is currently March 24th, 2020, and the world is in a bit of a state of um, catalyst because there is currently what is being called a global pandemic what is called the coronavirus. So we thought that we would do a little special podcast to focus on the current state of things. I am joined today by Gary Bean, uh, director for LL Research. Unfortunately, Jim can't join us today because he is dealing with his own uh, home repair-based catalyst that seems to be the theme of his life lately but he does send his uh, love and prayers to everybody uh, and he is doing well. Uh, Gary and I are simply students of the Law of One and everything we say uh, is not authoritative and we encourage everybody to simply use their own discernment. We're just here to discuss alongside of you and we're just walking the same path as everybody else out there. Um, So uh, Gary, are you with me and ready to go? I am indeed. All right. Well, like I said, the world is in a bit of a, a unique state right now. Um, snapshot of how things are right now, in case you're listening from the future. Um, a lot of the world is in what's being called the lockdown. Um, a lot of the states in the United States are under various sorts of restrictions, restricted movement. Um, people are practicing what's called social distancing, which not only involves trying to stay uh, at least six feet separated from each other out in public, but to just limit uh, the amount of public exposure as much as possible by staying inside and self-quarantining. In some places it's mandated, in some places it's just suggested, but right now uh, a lot of the world is in just a state of... um, slowed down a bit of isolation in terms of actual physical uh, social contact. But um, there's a lot of different emotions in the air, different sorts of processing of catalyst and stuff. So figured that you and I could just talk a little bit about our own personal experiences uh, with the coronavirus, what we've been going through and how we've been handling things. Do you want to start? Sure. Um... I think it was Thursday, March 12th, when it really tipped into my awareness. Prior to then, there were all sorts of signs that something was coming. And for me, it really blew up onto the scene when I checked into Facebook for the first time. It had been a few weeks since last I had tuned in. And one on that morning, I looked at my news feed and um, people who otherwise weren't you know, don't exercise being tuned into current events were expressing alarm, panic. I was getting the first whiffs of um, hysteria even. I got really emotional actually seeing loved ones just really concerned and um, worried for their own well-being or their families or their children and beginning the self-isolation practice. And um, that was the last day I saw Austin in person. (laughs) 
is uh, 12 days ago. We were both in the office that day and um, it was still a few days before the national emergency declaration here in the United States. And it was just, we were on the, the ascent upward into uh, just full blown, um, full blown sort of um, emergency status or full blown societal change. And um, probably like most people since then, I've gone through waves of anxiety and worry. It's not helped by the news headlines as I tune in and um, uh, see like one bad headline after another. Um, cases spiking in Italy, hospital systems overwhelmed, uh, out of supplies and beds, uh, governors across the United States sounding the alarm for supplies in their own hospitals, um, confusion, mixed messaging uh, from uh, the top, the plummeting of the stock market, the thousands of people out of jobs and the uh, dramatic increase in unemployment. I think as of today, uh, March 24, it's you know at 34%. Um, state unemployment websites are are buckling um, or failing altogether. And the, the all the worst case scenarios that can go through the mind as you um, process all this data. So that has been an element of my experience, but there has also been so much hope and so much um, increase in love and desire to serve and we'll, we'll um, explore that in upcoming uh, sections. But yeah, that's a, a quick um, window into my own psyche. And I'll close by saying too, a lot of it has been characterized by worry for uh, loved ones, whether because of uh, loss of income or because they are immunosuppressed people, of which my wife is one, or um, because there's a lot of family and friends I know who don't have the spiritual outlook or at least a, a larger frame within which to process this moment. So it's got to be terrifying to um, so many people to see the system around them, which had their whole lives been so fairly reliable and sturdy and steady, suddenly seemed to come unraveled or fall apart. So a lot of compassion. How about you, Austin? Yeah, it's, um, it's weird that I feel like it hit so many people on the same day, just the realization of what was coming and we still at that point didn't really even understand how things would pan out but that Thursday the 12th I remember the night before uh, my partner and I Kat we were supposed to go to a concert Thursday evening and we talked about it Wednesday evening and just checking in with each other asked if we still wanted to go and both of us were like yeah we're not going to miss the concert <laughs> And then literally the next morning we checked in again and both of us were like, uh, I don't know if we should go. And we ended up not going. Um, so it was like just this overnight transformation of uh, caution, of not really understanding the situation. I was thinking the night before, like, yeah, it might get bad and maybe we'll have to miss out on some concerts going into the summer, but um, we can go to this one tomorrow night and it'll be fine. But then the next morning, it felt like the entire perspective changed somehow, just kind of naturally. 
Um, so that was sort of that first day, like you were talking about. And um, yeah, you talked about worst case scenario. And I think part of the struggle of this for a lot of people, including me, is that even then, uh, March 12th, worst case scenario didn't look as bad as it seems as it feels right now uh things have just been the worst case scenario has felt uh intellectually to be getting worse i have to comfort myself with the knowledge that that can't go on indefinitely um that uh worst case scenario is not always going to be panning out and that um uh things eventually get better they always do basically everything in this universe passes into the next phase um, both good and bad so uh, there is comfort in that but i think part of just like that realization like we didn't know most people didn't know i won't say nobody knew i did there were a lot of people i saw on the internet in the early stages of this that were very upset that nobody would grasp what was going to happen and i um <laughs> i'm sorry for them that nobody listened but um yeah and my own experience has really been highlighted by um anxiety and um a sense of panic but all of that is sort of this um i've noticed it's an instinctual response that it's really hard for me to get a grasp on because even at this point intellectually I understand that like this is not a permanent situation. I do believe um, in my heart that things will get better. I know that they could get better quicker than we are thinking right now. It's, that's always a possibility. Um, and uh, I have this intellectual ability to know that panic doesn't serve me, but then it, it's like an instinctual sort of thing um, that I've been feeling. And some of it comes from my uh, relationship with my partner. Like you were saying, Gary, some people don't have a spiritual perspective to fall back on. And she's one of them. And I think it's important for the, us who do have a spiritual perspective to be sensitive to that. Because to put it into context, for people like us who believe that the soul is infinite, and especially in the law of one perspective, that this is like... Um, it's a significant part of our journey in incarnations because there's a lot of potential for catalyst here, but it is a small blip in the eye of the one infinite creator. And uh, to somebody who doesn't have that perspective, this isn't a small blip uh, in their journey through this universe. If they believe their journey in this universe started at their birth and ends their death, this has the potential to define their entire existence within the universe. And that is so daunting and it's so heavy. And um, I, I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for people like that. I mean, I think that we need to be really careful and sensitive um, when we offer our comfort and try to help ease that sort of anxiety because our spiritual perspective doesn't really mean much for somebody who hasn't bought into it. So um, finding other ways to help uh, people like that and to just be sensitive in how we interact with them because that is a heavy, heavy weight. So that's been a defining part of my own experience. Um, and 
another part is I know a lot of people personally impacted so far by the massive unemployment. Uh, so many things have closed here in Kentucky. Um, just earlier this week, there was a mandate for non-essential retail stores to close and already bars and restaurants were closed with the exception of things like uh, delivery and takeout service. So, um, and liquor stores and liquor stores are essential. Vital. I honestly, I'm not going to blame them for that. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it's a wise choice. <laughs> uh, you know, in a situation like this, like alcohol is not a healthy way to cope with anything, but I think that if it's the only way for somebody to cope, mm -hmm. I'm not going to blame them. Um, but I know a lot of people personally in the service industry, especially, and um, thankfully Kentucky's unemployment response has been pretty good, but it's, you know, there's not a lot of care that we see coming from the upper levels of government to help care for people that are now out of work. So there's, you know, financial responsibilities that people still have just to keep up their well-being, and it has been stripped away from them without an alternative. And that's a hard situation to be in. That's also super heavy. So I have a lot of uh, sympathy and empathy for them. And that's also sort of contributed to my anxiety and panic because they're clearly rightfully feeling anxiety and panic right now. And it can be a little contagious. So um, it's been a struggle, but I do um, have a generally... Um, I want to say positive outlook. Uh, I'm able to rest in faith, I think, uh, for the most part, uh, when I'm able to get the sort of physical symptoms of anxiety under control. Um, it's been a bit of a struggle to focus on things and to um, not uh, spiral out of control, but being mindful of what I'm experiencing has really helped. We can get more into you know, coping strategies and stuff like that later. Um, do you actually have any like follow-ups to current situation, Gary? Yeah, some quick thoughts. When you were describing um, your experience of anxiety, I wanted to highlight that um, in a hypothetical universe where we could not be affected by other people's feelings, I think there's still plenty of space for anxiety to be self-sourced within ourselves. Uh, however, given the widespread experience of anxiety or, or panic even across the globe, I think there is a very alive, very palpable um, psychic climate of anxiety right now. And mm -hmm. um, for anybody with an open heart or with any sort of sensitivity, I mean, you don't have to be a you know, psychic empath, um, just being... Um, um, sensitive to the needs and experiences of others is very much likely to impact you and to um, so so I just highlight that um, as uh, a helpful tool for differentiating what might be yours and what might be the collectives as well yeah it's a really good point like panic and anxiety are contagious especially right now and especially with the way social media is um, it's really easy to get caught in somebody else's loop. Um, so I think it's a really important thing when we're trying to be mindful of where our feelings are coming from to remember that 
I also think it's important to remember that anxiety and panic in a scenario like this are not unrealistic responses. They, I'm not saying that like they're useful necessarily because they're really uh, only useful to a certain point. But at the same time, uh, it is a survival response to something that mm-hmm. um, what we are perceiving, whether it's really that much of a threat or not, I don't think uh, anybody truly knows the extent of this. Um, surely the anxiety and panic are an overreaction, but it's still an understandable reaction to something like this. And to not like blame yourself or others for feeling that way, because uh, I've hear people saying a lot, and I believe it too, like our generation has never experienced something like this. Right. And to have a strong reaction to that is completely understandable i don't think you can blame yourself or anybody else i think our focus instead of you know being upset about how we're reacting or how others are reacting are to just try our best to turn to care and um, calm empathy and love yeah many um generations before us have undergone group crises uh, you know, whether it's world wars or uh, former pandemics. And in my lifetime, I am 40 years old. Uh, there has been nothing remotely on this scale. Like 9-11 was uh, one of the largest collective events that I had experienced um, in the United States. The 2016 election was pretty impactful. Um, but this is not in the living memory of most people alive. There are still some people who were around uh, during World War II, but um, even then there's stark differences between this moment and that. And maybe we can segue into uh, what we see as happening and why it's happening by where I'm going with this now, if you're interested. Yeah, let's do that. So um, this is the first moment in my own life where uh, the globe, the planet itself, is undergoing a common event more or less together. There's obviously a range of experiences and reactions, but um, it's evidence just, you know, obviously in my own news feed and in any <laughs> news outlet that you turn into right now, it's 90% or more it seems, on this one event. And I think that has enormous transformative value, which we can get into later. But um, to be awakened to the fact, particularly if you had been somewhat slumbering, figuratively speaking, to this point can be scary to realize all of a sudden that um, you know you are not just an independent an individual within this stable kind of invisible structure but you are part of a whole and the whole has an experience in and of itself and if the whole is struggling or buckling or straining or at threat even of collapse if the worst case scenario takes you down that road um that's got to be frightening because it, it seems like it's it's like the water that you're swimming in itself is is starting to um become dangerous and then what do you do so that's kind of reflecting a little bit more about the anxiety of the moment and where it might be sourcing from um but 
what I, in, in trying to frame this moment, and first let me caveat and disclaim what I'm about to say by saying that like everybody else on the planet, I am trying to wrap my head around what is happening too. And um, the I and, and Austin and everybody at LL has no access to special information. I mean, obviously we have certain channels that can share inspired philosophical information and th that absolutely provides a framework and provides orientation and I draw upon that very heavily. But in terms of like un understanding exactly what's happening right now, I'm trying to figure it out as I go along too, but um, what feels fairly true to me and clear, again, preface that this is just subjective, is that this is a, a moment of collective trauma that is uh, designed, you might say. And by that, I don't mean and it's necessarily preordained, um, except in so far as the mechanisms of catalyst and evolution are preordained. But rather that this is an intelligent manifestation of, um, of humanity's course of evolution that has arisen for the same reasons that trauma, uh, arises in the path of an individual. Ra describes how a good percentage of our own progression on planet Earth involves the catalyst that we call trauma. And my understanding is that that is the case because the individual is not making what Ra would call efficient use of their catalyst. You know, in other words, they're not learning their lessons. They're stuck in old patterns. They're not bringing their attention to their catalyst and to the opportunities for making the choice and, um, and not progressing as their soul wants to. So along comes trauma. And there are a million ways that can manifest. It could be a car accident. It could be a medical disease. It could be a divorce. It could be a rock bottom through an addiction issue and on and on it goes. But the function of this trauma is to wake the self up, to make enough noise that it grabs the attention of the self. Rod describes this in uh, 8327. Don is asking, like, he says, in some cases, it seems that the use of catalysts is almost in a runaway condition for uh, some entities. They are experiencing more pain than they can make good use of. So they ask, so Don asks Ra to comment on that. Ra says, such an entity is quite desirous of using catalysts and has determined to its own satisfaction that what you may call the quote, I didn't need to quote because I was already quoting Ra, what you may call the large board needs applied to the forehead in order to obtain the attention of the self. Um, they go on to say, it is well to hope that the other self is grasping that which it has gone to some trouble to offer itself. 
that is the catalyst which it desires to use for the purpose of evolution. So I tend to see trauma in that context, which doesn't limit my empathy when somebody is undergoing trauma. Um, you know, I don't stand back and say, well, <laughs> you had it coming because you weren't learning your lessons. Obviously, like I want to step up and uh, show up and help in any way I can. And I've seen many examples in my own life or, you know, with loved ones. And I've had my own mini episodes of trauma. Uh, but the point is, is that trauma has an evolutionary function. And um, for a quick anecdote on that, uh, and then I'll loop this back into this collective moment, and then I'll wrap up this riff. My father is um, someone who has struggled with alcoholism a lot of his life, combined with anger and even chronic anger and rage issues. And he went through a trauma uh, of a divorce with my mother and went through hell for uh, well over a decade. He was in his grave so often and not having coping mechanisms to make efficient use of his own catalysts. Uh, he uh, you know, numbed himself up with uh, uh, psychiatric medications and was often like a zombie because he couldn't just simply face his emotions. And um, he's, however, through that process, he started to gradually lose his anger and become more open-hearted and realize the value of loving. And then recently he, he suffered a stroke, which um, sent him into a period of delirium and he's had some cognitive impairment ever since. But following the stroke, he made this vow to himself that he is not going to complain anymore. He is not gonna be negative. And he had so much support along the way too. And he was very, he just kept expressing gratitude for the support. And despite uh, his cognitive difficulties and despite not being, you know, a, a, a quote unquote spiritual person or well-studied or intellectual in any way, he has transformed himself in such a profound and ad admirable way and I, I hold this as an example in my own heart of someone who, who felt the two by four, the large board, apply to his forehead and used it for his own evolution to open his heart. Now to conclude, um, there's a lot of frames to apply to this moment, but it is absolutely a collective trauma, um, kind of unprecedented really in world history. Never before has the globe undergone something together and been connected via social media to undergo it together. And what is being undergone is a moment of, of trauma. And like all such adversity and challenge when it is this concentrated and acute and uh, such a shock to the system and brings such pain, it is a message it is a wake-up call to shake us out of our old patterns, to disrupt the old models, and to kind of destroy and shake apart the old models and in order to create the space whereby new opportunities can emerge, um, where before they were blocked by the uh, habituation and addiction to old, old patterns. So, so much that can be explored there, of course, but I want to shut up for a moment and turn it back to you, Austin. That was uh, all really succinct and profound. I think it's a really good correlation between, you know, how individuals and collectives can process catalyst uh, and how that catalyst might be similar. Um, you know, that sort of 
the fractal view of the universe mm. is that individuals and collectives are just the same thing on two different levels of the creator. So it makes a whole lot of sense that the collective will also, as we become more of a collective, experience uh, collective-wide trauma, I think. And this, like you're saying, is probably like the first real instance of modern, like modern society, meaning, um, you know, post-internet sort of, uh, post-social media too. You know, the world has changed so much in just the past, you know, 10, 20 years mm. in terms of how we are connected and how we can interact with people all over the world. Um, and that has brought a lot of both positive and negative uh, repercussions. But to have this now opportunity where we're all connected in such a significant way, and then we have this trauma that really highlights how much we are connected in such a significant way by uh, a few different mechanisms. One of them is driving us apart, you know, the hmm. um, sort of suggested way to uh, help with the collective trauma. Uh, in the physical realm is to, you know, socially isolate yourself, uh, at least in the physical sense, by um, not exposing your loved ones and not going out into public and not being around other people. Um, so you don't help spread the virus. Um, so that is sort of what the collective has bought into for the most part, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, it's what I've seen in my life anyways. And it's sort of highlighting how um, a lot of our social connections we've taken for granted. And it mm -hmm. is also highlighting um, what you were saying, Gary, I think you called it an invisible system. It is making that invisible system very visible, how we take certain sorts of people for granted. Um, I've seen a lot of appreciation and outpouring of love for people uh, that they're saying that what they're calling the front lines and um, I'm not totally in favor of using like warlike terms to talk about this but I do think it helps rally people to a sense of camaraderie and mm -hmm. helps to highlight people who are really um, acting to help make a difference but you know naturally we have a lot of appreciation for doctors and nurses in a scenario like this that's very well deserved but then there's a lot of highlighting people like grocery store workers and pharmacists and sanitation workers and you know all the people that are being deemed as essential by society right now and a lot of these people we um, as a society have treated them as non-essential disposable people essentially you know they um, we, we don't treat them well as a society we, we don't revere them like we revere people who um, don't have as much utility at this moment. So it's really pointing out the sort of uh, not just inequality, but just this, like you were saying, invisible system that has supported us and is really going to make us think about how we treat our society and how we arrange our society. And I think uh, that is hopefully, uh, my hope, going to be the biggest outcome from this, that um, we will uh, really realize the ways in which we are connected, the ways in which we rely upon each other, and the sort of excesses of society that we have put too much focus on and um, refocus ourselves towards supporting everybody around us.
and really appreciating those who put themselves in situations that um, can be uh, dangerous in order to um, help keep society going. Um, so I really think that the potential for transformation here is great. And I really pray that um, we as a collective can grasp it. I do see a lot of talk about it in my own social circle, even in the non-spiritual sides of my social circle, um, that it's the ways that this is calling attention to certain things in our society and that um, hopefully other social circles are also experiencing the same sort of awakening and uh, shock. This is sort of like a not to extrapolate too much from archetypes, but the lightning struck tower, you know, the whole idea of the lightning yeah. struck tower is a spiritual archetype. And uh, I think initially the archetype was just lightning and it was a sudden awakening of realization uh, that um, helped you to see spiritually, see your spiritual world for just a brief second, uh, like lightning does. It illuminates the nighttime for just a brief second and you have a sudden moment of clarity of your surroundings before it goes away again. Hmm. Um, but then you add the element of the lightning struck tower and you have that illumination, but that illumination crumbles your old worldview. The tower is the structure of your old worldview. And uh, this feels like it is a lightning strike to that tower that is going to cause that tower to crumble. Uh, and hopefully not it crumbles in a way that doesn't cause um, too much undue suffering. And it, uh, the transformation is relatively seamless. I mean, even right now, it doesn't seem like it's seamless. Like what's happening right now is pretty rough, but the potential for transformation there is so ripe. It's, it's such a potential that I think that we're experiencing and um, everything that you said, Gary, really, I think uh, helps me to realize just how much of a catalyst in the sense of an, uh, an agent for transformation and growth this can really be. I had not brought the lightning struck tower into this and that is so perfect because it is such a powerful, potent, uh, not metaphor, lens maybe, um, application to what is happening. And they're really, <laughs> whether the word is was or is, this lightning flash of clarity of the environment as you were describing, um, suddenly things are so much more visible. Wow, that, that really packs in a lot. And I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> and regarding the manifestation of a episode of trauma, whether it is in an individual or whether it unfolds for a collective, I think um, it is ultimately as destructive as its potential is what it's destroying is precisely as you described the, the tower, the old models um, in order that new growth can occur in order that a new threshold can be crossed. So it has a benign function. It's part of that inexorable, inexorable rather, upward spiraling light. You know, Ra describes a universe that is inexorably 
you know, inevitably, unstoppably forward moving or upward moving. Everything in the creation is returning to source and being called to source. We can retard that process, of course, or we can accelerate that depending on how we cooperate or reject that upward spiraling light, but it will continue to spiral upward. And um, when we are not working with that and evolving, that's when trauma happens. Trauma isn't necessarily necessary. It's uh, only... Um, I don't know if only is the most accurate word, but it feels that way to me. It would only unfold. Maybe there are exceptions. When? You know, catalyst isn't being used. <laughs> and there's so many ways to study and diagnose our society and see the ways that catalyst is not being used. I mean, Ross says that specifically, that your pupils um, you know, don't make efficient use of catalysts. And that's you know, why wanderers are here in so many numbers, of course. But um, it doesn't take a higher density being to point that out to you. There's uh, so many uh, inequalities and causes of suffering in this world. So, um, yeah, I, we, um, <clears throat> I feel cool on having kind of dissected why things are happening now. Um, how, how do you feel? Um, yeah, we sort of for the listener we have sort of a list of topics we wanted to cover i think we kind of covered that as well as the collective catalyst thing right yeah um i did have one more i just wanted to read a quote, oh sorry quote, quote to wrap it up and it's disclaimer this comes from a practice channeling session it's actually a recent practicing chant practice channeling um so the channels in this scenario are um, training, so they're not fully practiced. But the questioner asked, uh, um, Ross said that it was possible that our planet could polarize positively in one fine strong moment of inspiration in 6512. Could you give us any idea of what conditions could bring this about? And Kuo responded, I am Kuo and I'm aware of the query, my brother. Indeed, the possibility of your entire planet polarizing in one fine moment seems like such a remote and infinitely small possibility that it is difficult to imagine what conditions might bring about such a dramatic shift, especially as your perceptions of your own planet tend towards the negative and difficulties upon it. Yet we point out that in times of difficulty, there often comes a shared purpose among those who experience such difficulty. When circumstances are the most dire, entities have within their grasps the most ability to turn their hearts outward towards service and unify for the purpose of serving their own fellow entities about them. We do not mean to be grim and offering an example of catastrophe in order to present this possibility. Yet indeed, such an event in which all upon your planet are aware of some difficulty or impending dire circumstance that may affect everybody much of the pattern of thought that separates you as individuals and as disparate cultures might fall away for concern of all others. And those upon your planet may turn their hearts outward towards each other, extending love in all directions and to all peoples. And that was channeled um, pretty recently. Uh, uh, February 12th was when that came from. 
when before the show I told you I was searching for a quote on the website, I was running keyword searches on population and I thought I did catastrophe and it was exactly that that I was looking for and I couldn't find it. Thank you. It's perfect. Yes. Yeah, so um, maybe that was a little bit prescient. I don't know. I, but uh, uh, that just shows that the potential is within this catalyst. And I think it's important also to realize that just as individuals, um, catalysts, even trauma can um, have different effects. And if it's, it doesn't, it's not always used positively. But if we as a collective planet are ready for transformation, and I think it's possible that we are, then something like what we're experiencing right now can result in very positive transformation. Uh, my biggest um, concern is that I just feel a lot of empathy for the people who are going to suffer and uh, sacrifice in order for that transformation to take place. Uh, I like, I, a lot of people I know are very fortunate and Gary and I are one of them or two are among them. <laughs> we are one in the end, but um, we can work from home and um, our uh, safety is relatively taken care of compared to a lot of people that are suffering right now. And um, it feels unfair that, you know, the most vulnerable and the poorest among us have to bear the brunt of the suffering that transformation brings. But um, the outlook could be positive and hopefully in the future, the most vulnerable among us um, will be the most protected. Yeah, whether it sounds like we're getting into it now. Sorry, listeners, I'm a very <laughs> organized person. Um, that can segue or dovetail rather into the positive outcomes we, we perceive being potential to this catalyst um but i want to riff on a couple small not small points but um a couple points and let's describe how um you, you were talking about the most vulnerable and there's a lot of our perspective that is naturally sees through the lens of our or, uh, our own country or the western world but then um when you're taken outside of that scope for a moment to consider, uh, you know, less developed nations as they're called, or particularly there are millions of displaced people in refugee camps right now who are already underserved in overcrowded places without access to resources and sanitation and so forth. And when that virus hits them, uh, it's, you know, has every potential to spread like wildfire and, I can't even imagine the potential hell on earth that those groups may have to go through when you know, they're, the world around them quarantines them inside of their own camps. So um, I think that sort of understanding can serve as an even more strident call to those oriented towards service to really hold the light in this moment. And, um, and I, I don't mean um, stepping onto the world stage and becoming a world savior, but uh, in any local, small way possible to um, shine one's light. But I'm, I'm holding off on to... <laughs> to diving into what I see as being um, what could 
result from this as a function of transformation. Um, I'll yield the, the mic back to you first. Right, let's go ahead and uh, get into it. If we need to circle back to anything, we can. What the future holds is anybody's guess. Uh, humanity has, I mean, any point of catalyst, particularly that class that you know we've been calling trauma or uh, acutely difficult on a collective level, has is rich with opportunity for transformation and healing and initiation. I think all three big concepts are present right now for the planet, transformation, healing, and initiation. However, uh, this particular group has shown a chronic tendency of not taking opportunities through, uh, per the Confederation's perspective, multiple planetary cycles. Um, but so as anybody's guess, I'm sure there'll be a mix of, of positive and negative to come from this, but uh, being who I am and tuned into the frequencies that I am tuned into and having the worldview that I do, my heart is so aligned to seeing the positives to, I hope, emerge from this moment. And I don't see this as me like grafting hope onto a negative situation, but rather I feel this is very alive right now. And I see it echoed from other perspectives as well. Um, among the things I already see emerging out of this um, include um, a reprioritization of what's important. Um, kind of like I, when Actually, you'll see this come up later in the podcast, but when there, a loved one passes, you know, it's a very difficult moment often. There seems, the air seems to be clarified. There, there seems to be a greater capacity to discern the signal and the noise of all the daily stimulus that we have. And I'm seeing this moment in those terms as well as we begin to see what is really important to us. And what is really important to us is our connections, our loved ones, our um, ability to be with loved ones. And I see a lot more people checking in with each other and realizing that, that family is important. However, in whatever scope you define family, uh, including all the your, your friends and people you're connected to and uh, in terms of like the societal economic picture, um, I kind of see this as potentially uh, a moment where all the big trees in the forest are burnt down or destroyed through some way. And then the, all the undergrowth that couldn't quite get access to the sunlight now has space to rise. And I'm wondering if the the accumulated wealth on this planet in various industries and governments and the, you know, as the shorthand goes nowadays in the hands of the 1% or though the elite at the top will be depleted somehow, maybe even redistributed maybe to those at the bottom rungs. And like you were describing Austin earlier about how society doesn't value those, um, 
those servicing society and, and generating wealth for the top, ultimately, too. Maybe there'll be a greater recognition, increase in wages on a, just a practical level, but a greater valuing of the people who work to um, keep these gears moving. I think back to what my own reading of history, and I know that through the um, catastrophes that Europe in particular underwent uh, for a few centuries, I think it was, um, when waves of the bubonic plague would hit, um, that contributed significantly to the end of serfdom because the population was thinned and then laborers had much more rights to demand um, rights from uh, the the landed class and the aristocracy. And it you know, was a huge stepping stone toward increased equality between peoples. And while I hope that the population isn't thinned out in this case, I do hope that greater equity emerges. Um, and <laughs> a couple more points I just want to mention. Um, as part of the revaluing of what's important, to people and the realization that people are important to people i see and hope for a greater sense of global interconnectedness like as we were describing earlier it is a fine moment for the individual to wake up and recognize that they are part of the whole and thus that they have a responsibility to the whole i mean part of what ra calls the sinkhole of indifference what characterizes it is a great degree of indifference and apathy and non-participation in the whole. And here and is a moment where um, we can wake up and take something as a group seriously. Like how many genuinely serious causes exist in the world that should be calling everybody's attention or um, everybody to service. And, you know, it's, there's so much sarcasm that it's difficult to really be sincere and passionate uh, and serious about something. I mean, you can, but you're generally a part of one fragmented group apart from society. But the mainstream has just a sort of collective indifference and apathy. And here is a moment where we can all take something <laughs> very seriously. So it could be um, a real moment to move away from that collective apathy and vice versa for the whole to begin taking care of the individuals for governments to realize their responsibility to the the health of the whole um, and i will pause right there lest i monologue for too long to um, turn it back to you austin yeah i've got a lot of responses to things that you were saying um the one you were just mentioning this um potential for this to wake people up to uh, extend more outward service and cooperation i guess it made me think like uh, even mirrored in my own mentality um this is as much of a, an admission of guilt as it is um just displaying what sort of happened in the world uh for a long time this was contained to china and for a lot of our western listeners i think um well i'll just claim my own ignorance here for me 
um, things that happen in China seem very far away. And it seems yeah. like they're happening to people I don't understand very well. And it just doesn't grab my consciousness as much as um, it should grab a compassionate heart's consciousness. So imagine what could have happened if the world were set up in a way where this started happening in China and China would, in my understanding, wasn't the most transparent about what was happening and probably isn't in a, you know, social political position to accept help. But if they were, and if the world were tuned in and the world responded to this immediately, not because they were scared that it would spread, but because, uh, we care about what happens to the people in China, then this wouldn't have happened. Um, this could have been contained in some way. Uh, we wouldn't be in the situation we are now. Um, if there were more resources put towards preparing for a current scenario, uh, back when it was initially understood this was a potential, um, or in, in even resources put towards uh, medical inquiries into how to help those who do get sick. If we were in a position to do that back when this was first an issue, which wasn't that long ago, but it still would have given us a lot of head start on alleviating the suffering that is happening and that is coming. So uh, I do really hope that that is one realization that comes from this is that we can't really just ignore the suffering of others because uh, um, we are connected and their pain, if we don't allow it to be our pain uh, spiritually, then it can potentially become our pain physically. Um, I think that's a good perspective to take on this. Um, and then I think this is maybe one of the times we'll get a little bit political on the podcast, but um, what you were saying about inequality and um, the state of our sort of economic and political system um, yeah, I think what we're seeing is a stark example of how our current economic system is so unequal. There's such a lack of equal treatment and a lack of equity and a lack of care uh, for um, people who are at the bottom rungs of society. And it is my greatest hope that through this, there will at least be some small realization of how unfairly hardworking poor people are treated, not just in this country, but all over the world. And there are some pretty stark examples that I'm seeing in my own social circle um, of people really having this highlighted for them. And hopefully it will potentially cause sort of a a compassionate political shift to create a more equitable society for everybody and sort of take the power out of those who are at the top of the rung and who have accumulated power for the sake of accumulating power. I think that's a very real potential here as well. Um, just to touch on a new potential, um, seeing a lot of information about the environmental effects of having it's, it's yeah. economy shut down essentially completely um which you know i think realistically no one believes that we can just shut down the economy as it is and transform it overnight to fix the environment but this is an example of just how drastically our economic system our worldwide economic system 
is affecting our daily lives in terms of the natural world and environment and just how things are seeming to snap back so quickly. And I do want to be careful because I've seen some uh, information circulating on social media that isn't true. Some of the stuff about, I think, dolphins in the canals of Venice um, was fake or something like that. Mm. Um, so it's you have to be very discerning in getting information. Like it comes in all forms, uh, disinformation and misinformation. And that I think is another potential that I see, at least in my own social circle from this is there seems to be a more heightened awareness of the lack of good information that's available to us. This existence of so much social noise that exists online and social media and how that impacts our ability to function as a collective society when so many people are able to confirm their worldview so easily through the internet and there's so many sources of information available i'm seeing people really questioning like what their own discernment is and what sort of standards they have for learning truthful information and sharing truthful information i really hope that is one potential side effect of what comes from this because i am seeing it at least in my social circle people are becoming aware of how they've been duped in some ways and um, how we need to really find a way to clear the noise in some manner. I don't know how that's achieved, but I think if we as a society call for a solution, then a solution will come. Hmm. Um, so um, that's maybe a final point it's semi-related we can get back to the main question at hand but i did want to just sort of touch on the ability to discern good information uh, since i just brought it up um, just a call for people to be really careful about the information they read and what they share and understand how we tend to be pulled towards information that is confirming our current state of mind. And in a scenario like this, a lot of our states of mind, in at least some small way, is in a state of panic and anxiety. And that pulls us towards articles and information that tend to confirm the state of panic and really elevate the state of anxiety. And then we start reading and sharing this information that um, is triggering that in ourselves and thus then we trigger it in others and it kind of builds and builds and that information for the most part isn't really good information um, I think in my understanding the reality of the scenario is there's actually not a lot of solid information but there is a lot of information out there that isn't solid and that isn't good so um, when we share things that are triggering for panic and anxiety uh, from a state of panic and anxiety, it really doesn't serve anything. And I do think we need to be a little bit careful about being too um, uh, blind to the reality of the situation too. Um, there are, there's huge potential for positive outcome in this. I do believe that we will get through it uh, and I do believe that we can transform our society for the better from this. But um, we also have to be realistic about the scenario that we're in. And we can't just concentrate on cutting out bad 
news, cutting out anxiety inducing stuff. Um, you know, we can take the realistic information and try to process the anxiety that arises from it, but to just sort of concentrate on the positives and try to only find good news, I think gives us an unrealistic uh, picture of the scenario at hand. And um, we're essentially bypassing the catalyst that is necessary that this is calling for us to realize. So that's really all my side tangent is for, is just to really be careful uh, and discerning your own emotions, how they're affecting what you're looking at and how you're feeling about what you're looking at and how you share things. Um, but to bring it back to the topic, was there anything, um, anything more for like positive potential outcomes that you had for this? Yeah, you, so you were talking about the avoiding bypassing by looking squarely at the catalyst and among that catalyst is that i think this pandemic really highlights and even exacerbates uh, many of the flaws in our systems from our medical systems to political systems to supply to social safety nets and so forth and um one of the great difficulties and challenges of our society that's been true for a while, but is particularly true in the past couple of decades with the advent of social media is the fragmentation of society. And that fragmentation is connects to what you were describing about various sources of information. Um, and because we are so fragmented, we are, uh, as everybody is very familiar with by now, um, in our own bubbles often or silos. And we have different facts, really. Uh, <laughs> we have different reality streams often. And there is a, a mutual unintelligibility between the different bubbles. Sometimes you can't talk across those divides because you you're, have a, a different vocabulary, a different fact book that you're reading from. Um, but so the way that loops back into this moment is that because we are undergoing this as a planet more or less you know i, I maybe there are um countries that are completely tuned out of this uh, i haven't heard about coronavirus yet in africa uh for instance but um it seems global i think it's safe to say so because we're going through this together it's the closest i've ever seen to a unified orientation across the spectrum like obviously there are a range of reactions those different reactions um, falling within those fragmented lines of course but there's still a single common event that is as universal as is meeting a stranger and talking about the weather and now we have this lingua franca <laughs> i have no idea how to pronounce that lingua franca um which I just looked up actually, and is quoted as a language that is adopted as a common language between speakers whose native languages are different. So it's like a, the, the coronavirus is a universal language. So there's the potential then that just by this unified orientation, even though there's a different range of interpretations of the experience, that that somehow helps to bridge the chasms that somehow by like all looking at the same thing or looking in the same basic d field of uh, direction, 
that thought and energy can move between us more, that a, a collective can crystallize more out of what had been a, a fragmented, you know, piecemeal society. Um, and in moving towards closing my own thoughts, um, we are obviously a communal species. Any third density world would be by its nature. Um, and I think we thrive best in the mutual support that community offers. Uh, but where the model of capitalistic self-interest has taken hold around the globe, which is in most places, I think, uh, many of us, uh, most acutely in the Western world, have lost touch with that community. And <clears throat> what I see this moment bringing is this opportunity again to reconnect with that, to realize, like you know, we've been discussing, that we are communal, that we have a community, that others matter to us and we need to give more time to them. And you were describing the potential positive impact on the environment. There is a sense too that it's like giving the earth a moment to breathe mm -hmm. uh, after since the Industrial Revolution in particular, it has been under the relentless onslaught of our exploitation and has suffered um, from loss of habitat and biodiversity and biomass and um, polluted waterways and coral reef die-offs and uh, species loss and so on and so forth and you know, clean or uh, unclean air the release of CO2, so on and so forth. And uh, there hasn't been a pause on that. And now um, there is. It's, it's a little bit quieter around the world. And uh, hopefully that will also serve to make a shift for humanity. And really, in the, the high level, big picture, I absolutely see this as clearing a way for a new earth to be born as a very important powerful step on the road to fourth density specifically or to put it more generally toward a world of greater love and compassion yeah i pray for that multiple times a day everything that we just talked about um i kind of want to this relates to another point. We we're talking about individual catalysts, and I think a good segue might be, um, I just want to point out, I think I said earlier, that just like individuals who experience trauma and catalyst, uh, the society experiencing this trauma, I think it's really up to the collective to grasp the baton. And I believe there's a potential for either either one. Like, I think there's a great potential for positive transformation, but who knows the future? And perhaps society isn't quite ready yet, and um, this changes us in different ways. But this is still also catalyst for all of us individually. Each of us has a choice in how we react to the scenario right now, and how we allow it to transform us from this moment. And the only way that we can help contribute to that collective 
um, transformation is to make sure that we are utilizing the personal catalyst that this is bringing to us individually and finding how this can transform our hearts to open more and to be more loving and to find ways to share that love with the rest of the world. And um, we can't control what other people do. We can't control what the collective does, but we can control what we do. And so I think it's really important to look at this also on the individual level and figure out how you can utilize this opportunity amidst all of this difficulty and isolation and suffering and um, how you can uh, internalize it and figure out how to transform and transmute it and make that uh, increase your light in this world. Yeah, and part of well, how you use this catalyst is um, you know, unique to you, but I see for myself, and I think in general, one of the greatest, um, how do I want to say it? What this moment is calling for is service to others. Is to me like one fruit of using this catalyst uh, would be to not um, not let the moment not not like cower in fear for our own fate, um, though like that's totally a valid and okay experience if that's what anybody is having. But to tune our ears to the call for service being emanated all around us instead of focusing strictly on herself. And uh, when I say focus on herself, this is no way to um, contradict anything you were saying, Austin, because obviously we first and foremost have to work with ourselves. That is where our domain of responsibility is and we can't serve uh, anyone if we are oh, completely opaque to ourselves and not opening our hearts and you know, loving ourselves and exercising self-care. What I mean is that like obsessive focus on our personality and our shallow gratifications. If instead we reorient and literally ask ourselves like, what can I do for those around me? And not, not the whole earth that is going to happen just by, opening your heart, practicing acceptance and forgiveness. But for those you know, the the loved ones in your life, the faces that are familiar to you, what are their needs? What can uh, you do? And I think that act um, grants us strength and courage. I think we, in magnetizing ourselves to showing up and meeting the calls for service we are calling upon deeper powers and resources within ourselves we gain access let's say to a greater quantity and quality of love and light and we progress forward we move upward by serving others and this moment is such a clear opportunity for doing so and it's so easy just to 
um, check in with those you love. You know, I don't, um, you don't have to impose a spiritual perspective on them or let them know what the Confederation says about this moment, but just checking in, see how people are doing, um, ask, asking them how they are and if there's any way that, you know, you could, um, could help them. And, and also in terms of a um, couple quick points in terms of like navigating this for oneself. I think it's really, and th this is tying back into what you were saying about uh, exercising care and information sources. It's so important. It, what frequency you tune into is so important. If you're on the conspiracy train right now and um, playing the game of what various agents and governments are up to right now, your experience of this is going to be way different. And that's a valid experience for you to have, of course. And it's um, if that's where you're called to go, then, then go for it. But I am only highlighting that there is an alternative experience right now. And that experience is one where instead of um, steeping our minds in that subdomain of human consciousness, we can instead firmly situate our minds and our hearts on the, on the compassion that we can offer others and on what their needs may be. And um, yeah, yeah. That's what I've got to offer right now. Yeah. That was all really great. Um, in uh, respect for the time, <laughs> you want to move on, let's say, to talk about just random tips and advice and then maybe close out with positive sharing of uh, reading the testimony stuff? Yeah, unless I have something to bounce off of what you said, then um, I think I'm good for the next section. Okay. Um, well, I don't have anything like super meaningful to share. Really just some things that I've really personally found helpful because um, generally I'm a rather grounded and calm individual, but um, I, the amount of anxiety I have felt during this has been rather unusual and sort of a bit untenable for me. I found oddly that silent meditation hasn't really helped because even though I have a very regular meditation practice, the sort of muscle that helps me get into the state of silence is completely cut off by the anxiety that I feel. So um, I've been able to manage it and um, help to alleviate the anxiety some, but um, I really suggest that people be mindful about their social media consumption always, but particularly right now. Um, it is so easy to get caught in a loop of just looking at things uh, that are going on in the world that just paint a very bleak picture. And I believe a majority of it is uh, not factual. It's based on a lot of speculation. There's obviously facts about what is happening right now, but there tends to be a, a, a slant on it that sort of paints a picture that really helps draw in that anxious mind. I think um, these, the way social media works is the more attention things get, uh, 
the you know more likely that they're going to pop up in your world and people benefit from that attention and it sort of snowballs and so when people benefit from it they tend to twist it in a way that causes people more to more likely click on something more likely to read something and more likely to share something and when everybody is scared then that's what they're going to try to trigger so being really mindful i think of what you're doing if you find yourself just scrolling on your mouse scrolling on your phone and sort of like turned off from what you're seeing but you're still sort of absorbing all that energy um, just try to cut it off and put it down and uh, um, take some deep breaths find something else to do even if it's not something significantly spiritual um, you know binge on a funny tv show for a little bit or watch a funny movie i think it's totally reasonable and beneficial to allow yourself to be distracted for at least part of the time through this. I think it can really help us to reset our minds if we let go of what's happening in the real world and let us let ourselves escape into something for a little bit. So long as it's not our only coping strategy, I think it's completely reasonable and helpful. Um, another thing is uh, exercise I've found for me personally is really important. I don't, know how scientific it is. I've heard this, that stress hormones are um, sort of built up in the body and are alleviated by exercise because what is basically causing them is your fight or flight response. And so when you experience stress, but then you don't, you know, fight or flee, um, that's what causes the unhealthy effects of buildup of stress. And so then making sure that you get your heart rate up and really sort of um, exert yourself physically helps to kind of reset that stress cycle. Your body then realizes, okay, I have now fled or fought and uh, I can release all of that. And I don't know how accurate that is, but I've definitely found it true uh, in my life, especially the past couple of weeks is um, I've kept up my regular meditation or um, exercise routine and um, it has really helped to sort of reset that uh, anxious cycle. Um, I know a lot of people are limited to their homes right now. They don't have access to the gym and they might even be a little anxious about even uh, exercising outside, but we do fortunately have a wealth of digital um, information accessible in our homes right now. There's a lot of great stuff on YouTube, uh, things people are catering specifically to this current scenario of uh, way they can be active in their own homes. So um, highly recommend uh, if you have an exercise routine, maintaining it through this. And if you don't, try starting one. Um, very useful. Um, I think that's really my two big ones. Um, just I really try to take a break from social media and take care of your uh, the cycle that we tend to end up on when we're scrolling through stuff and absorbing information. It can be such a, a, a magnetic attraction and uh, so difficult to break that cycle, but it also just continues to accumulate in our minds. And um, I think it can be really harmful. That's about it. Do you have anything? Yeah, I have slipped into zombie mode more times than I care to count by yeah. the scrolling. <clears throat> 
Um, yeah, I did want to offer one more thing, and it loops back to what I was saying about how when you intentionally dedicate yourself to service to others, that you are marshalling uh, energies and resources to yourself. Um, you're growing, you're increasing your capacity, really. And I've noticed in myself how I can be stronger when I have a service to others purpose to be strong. Like if it's um, helping to hold somebody else up or helping to encourage somebody else versus when I'm just yeah, like trying to keep myself together. You know, if I'm siloed or just doing something for myself, then uh, I don't, may not have the same access. It's not always true. So in that light, keep in mind the power of of asking yourself to serve as a beacon of hope in these times because chances are you're connected with a lot of people who may not have the tools of processing that you have the the, the spiritual outlook or whatever um other means that you may be bringing to the moment, presuming you're listening to the show so that you're somewhat on a spiritual path or deeply on a spiritual path. And, you know, their world is just what happens on this planet. And if what happens on this planet looks like doom and gloom and death and fear, like uh, imagine the small space that that contracts one into. So ask yourself to be to represent hope to people, to just give a hopeful perspective. I, it doesn't mean, of course, getting on the soapbox, though, if the soapbox is what's needed in a given moment, by all means, but uh, little things, sharing on, on your own social media feeds, sharing small acts of service, expressing your own um, perspective. And the beauty of this, committing yourself to service to others is that even if you're not completely hopeful yourself, when you hold it up for others, you find that you become that, you become hopeful. So you're serving yourself too in your own nervous system and your own energy. And you're not just looking through the world through rose-colored glasses, as they say, but you're creating the vision that you're holding on to. You're holding the space for others to join you and to mutually create and i think that's what's needed now more than ever especially if it does get darker which it stands every chance to be especially as if there is some kind of uh, societal breakdown in significant ways hold on to hope keep your light on and do it for others too not just for yourself yeah that's very very inspiring i think very important too there's a lot of space right now for people to open themselves to service. Um, if you have ever wondered what you could be doing to serve <laughs> others, I think uh, you could just look around you right now and it can be direct. I don't know what sort of opportunities exist out in the real world right now, but I know there are some. Um, but if that doesn't fit your heart, then um, just serving as a beacon through the blessing and curse we know as social media um, really have an impact right now, I think. Um, like really big impact because people are really tuned in and people are in their cycles. 
All right. Um, do we want to uh, round off the show with um, our final segment, Gary? Definitely. All right. You want to so, set it up? Yeah. So um, we were talking about the, the importance of, uh, of your diet of information and how your worldview is definitely shaped by what frequency you tune into. And my own wife, Trish, was uh, having, on the cusp of a panic attack, really, might have even begun. And one of the things she did was she went to a subreddit. I think it's called Human Beings... Humans, Humans being, being Bros. Being Bros, thanks. Yeah, that's it. Like, I'm... I was just gonna say you can get there by reddit.com slash r slash humans being bros all one word and i'm sure there's lots of uh, uh subreddits or sources conveying this but in this particular one uh it's like the objective is to share human acts of kindness and it fed trisha's soul it calmed her heart and opened it and in that spirit of tuning into the the highest and best frequency for your own health and for the well-being of others and so that you shine for others. Um, we have some stuff to share. So uh, on my own personal uh, social news, <laughs> social news, my own personal Facebook and on LL Research's Facebook, um, uh, I and we asked these questions. We said, has anyone seen, heard about, or participated in acts of kindness during the pandemic, however small? Have you found yourself or others more inclined than usual toward offering service, lending a hand, reaching out to connect? Has the isolation created for you a greater sense of our interdependency and connectedness, or has it done the opposite? And finally, as the world contracts and uncertainty increases, do you think it's important to hold the light of hope for others? So um, the feedback that came on my own personal wall and on LL Research's Facebook was so beautiful and so uplifting, and it really affirmed and gave evidence for the type of transformation that Austin and I are talking about being possible. It's very much alive. It's very much coming on, online. Um, so Austin and I are gonna alternate back and forth and share, I'm using the first name of the person only, the, the feedback that came in in the hopes that it might lend some inspiration to your life the way that it did ours. So first one came in from Darren who said, our city council voted to waive utility fees for the month of April. Pretty generous. Cheryl wrote, I'm sitting on my deck listening to the birds and thinking how wonderful they sound. I do have a new appreciation for everything and everyone. I miss my students, my family, and my friends. This is a time to reflect on what is essential and good in our lives. Doug wrote, we intend to go door to door in our neighborhood and see how everyone is doing today. And Angela wrote, just now, after picking up a necessary item for my daughter's school, I was thinking about the phone call I had this morning with a friend, the message exchange with a different pal, and my sister, who is one of the few people I still see in person. I imagine how each of these connections are like this glowing golden thread, each so tenuous and fragile. 
It is a bit like the era after a loved one dies, and the little things all seem so immense. My gratitude for each person I get to connect with is overwhelming. Somehow, I hope to not take my life for granted when it returns to whatever our normal will be then. That's very beautifully put, Angela. Yeah, it's me tears. Um, Teresa writes, last week I emailed my elderly neighbors and I told them we'd go shopping for them if they didn't want to leave the house. We ordered takeout this weekend in order to support two locally owned food places and I hope that they don't go under during this time. And I also donated to the Cleveland Food Bank this morning. Maybe I should be doing more, but that's at least a start. I'm also eating some takeout to help support local restaurants. Um, Gina wrote, I've been sewing up to 10 hours a day making masks for people. No, I've seen those masks online on Facebook and they're uh, pretty cool. Renee writes, um, <clears throat> I've seen it out there, but not in the quantities I would like to see. I've been posting positivity all over my sites, trying to set an example and maybe offer some relief from the Corona mosh pit among my social posse, but fear mongering seems to be running rampant. Katie wrote, some of the Facebook groups I belong to, I see towns and neighborhoods coming together. People posting what they have extra of to share. People organizing things in the community that follow the safe guidelines, like chalking the sidewalks with inspiring messages for people as they go walking, etc. I have seen more upbeat, heartwarming stories from those local groups than anything else. Seen some local groups here in Louisville too that um, post things like that. And our governor, every day when he shares his slew of news, always shares positive things that they find online too. I really appreciate that. Shout out to uh, Kentucky's governor, Andy Bashir. He's just been really stepping up to the plate and doing a balanced job of, of firmness and gentleness and really exercising empathy and compassion. Yeah. So, I'm sure he'll appreciate <laughs> that shout out on this show. <laughs> yeah, we hope you're listening, Andy. <laughs> uh, Jacob writes, we brought some chocolate gift packages and dropped them uh, to three random people as morale boosters. And then he writes, I didn't include that here, but how it created a sense of interconnectedness between all those groups. And he says, all will be well. I'm hunkered down now with the love of my life, cat and best mate, as we all live together. We had a final gathering at our friend's house in preparation for lockdown. And we have marveled at how close it has been bringing people together. Now the UK is under lockdown. We gave two morale boosters to the public and one to friends. And we are watching the world finally slow down and I see that the new paradigm is going to unfold. This is the catalyst that I think will really get large numbers trying to aid others. I have already seen proof of that in my own eyes. All will be well. Gail writes, I have found even in small things, like getting groceries for neighbors, I can go and feel all is well and do so without hesitation. Surety, all is well. I find I am offering support in many ways, coaching freely slash IT tech help. It just arises to be of service, and I am doing so without thought. Same I see in many others. Be prepared. Her first word is all caps with an exclamation mark. <laughs> Donna writes, yes! <laughs> now is the time for us to not only go inwardly, Sorry if I blew out your eardrums, uh, listener. But to help our communities to respond with love instead of fear. There is so much that we can do. 
while we must practice social distancing, it can make us closer. And we can still help hands-on volunteer for Meals on Wheels and food pantries, soup kitchens, those that need us the most. Get some gloves and a mask and love the world up. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And Orion writes, goodness, the world indeed does seem to be contracting, and yet somehow it feel, I feel it's expanding and soaring to the heights. People really care. Not everyone. And this is too good. Free will. And, oh, sorry. And, and this, this too is good. Free will. I also reach out to others more than I used to. It's partly for selfish reasons to stay mentally healthy, Though that's a self-nourishing thing, so I think it maintains my capacity to serve. I agree with you. But I really want to be there to assist anyone who is struggling spiritually or emotionally. And I know so many who are doing the same in my community, despite not following the law of one. Robert shares, goodness, the world indeed. Oops. <laughs> Repeat. Yeah, so it seems that Robert's um, reply is Orion. So I'll go back and find Robert's while Austin reads his. Uh, but so I'll skip to the next one and change up the order. So apologies in advance for certainly mispronouncing your name. Vasculio writes, I'm currently spending 30 to 50 minutes each day just giving prayers and invocations that we people on earth make foolish use of the current worldwide catalyst towards the service to others polarity so that all panic and suffering is transformed into greater love and kindness for one another. Not sure if this really helps since I'm not a trained adept or something like that, but no harm trying, I think. No, Vesculio, no harm trying. I'm, I'm positive that... <laughs> don't need to be an adept to know that no okay charity rights uh, since we are practicing social distancing we are only able to support our online community i've been doing my best to spread love and light and quench the fear maybe quench the fear uh those that are still drowning it's the best i can do right now and that is enough but I have read so many, many stories of folks comforting each other in their isolation. It makes my heart full and brings peace to soul. Elise writes, I'm currently the family shopping. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I went out of order, didn't I? Harrison writes, a friend, I have a friend um, who has a daughter with cystic fibrosis, very high risk for any virus, particularly lung infections. In these times, shopping requires decontamination of everything. So we offered to shop for her. Got her set up, even with toilet paper. <laughs> Congratulations there. That's not easy nowadays. Also shopping and decontaminating for Nana. Elise writes, I'm currently the family shopping person, making sure my grandparents don't leave the house. But I love the shop. Oh, sorry. But I leave the shopping on the porch. Matthew says, I've found people more approachable and easier to have conversations with. I think this is very good with lots of great uh, emoticons. <laughs> and Michelle writes, seeing much more kindness and compassion and connectedness. It's extremely important to hold the light. Yes. 
Uh, all right, I've got Robert's on, on Facebook, the one that I had um, not included previously. So Robert wrote, I checked on my 70-year-old neighbor every day to see if she is okay or needs anything. I lost my contract of employment last week and posted that I would help anyone who asked. I make sandwiches and I feed the homeless in my town every Saturday. Started this first week in January 2020. My wee dog and I spend some time with homeless people too. Been just my wee dog and myself for the last few years, so kind of been self-isolating since then. Doesn't stop me though trying to help. And Jill writes, called a 90-year-old friend and told her any groceries or meds she needs, I am here to help her. Reach out to single folks. And then Angela shares, before the virus started to spread, I was trying to make a small living with a food delivery app, but just like with any job I had had, I, wasn't, I was having trouble with actually wanting to do it, even though I knew that I wouldn't be able to pay the bills if I didn't do it. For some reason, the threat of poverty isn't always enough of a catalyst for me to want to do something about it. Then all the restaurants closed and food delivery became an, quote, essential job. I started thinking harder about my motivations for wanting to do a particular job, and it occurred to me that I could find enjoyment in something simple like delivering food, not because I needed the money from it, but because it's a service that I can provide for others. And thank you for sharing that. That connects to exactly what we've been talking about, about service mm -hmm. to others. It's true. Delivery, food, food delivery right now is very important. Not everybody has the capacity to cook at home. Sometimes you just want a break and uh, also to support those small businesses and restaurants that are really struggling right now. And for like health and safety reasons too, um, yeah. particularly the elderly that don't want to risk going to a grocery store. Yeah, it's uh, very important. So thank you. And Tracy writes, I have been sharing necessities with folks that need it. Someone came in the grocery store passing out single rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> a saint in this moment. That might be the uh, new currency. Uh, yeah, Trish was, my wife was looking on um, the website for a local neighborhood. I think it's prevalent throughout the US. I don't know, it's called Nextdoor. And um, people were engaging in bartering and willing to, there's a, a house that has chickens and they're willing to exchange eggs for toilet paper in this wow. case. Um, so Diane, Diane writes, I gave homemade soup and lotion to everyone in my neighborhood. Ralph writes, in India, many people are giving free food or help any, to anyone who needs it. And then for the final contribution um, at the time this podcast was recorded came from Jenny who shared a website um, called coronavirusarmy.org, one word, and says, we are hard at work helping people. The initiative I'm working on is building a platform to connect those in need to those wishing to help. And we've come a long way in only a week. Please visit and look at the other initiative projects, volunteers that are doing amazing things right now. And like, thank you, Jenny. What a perfect example of transmuting what is a devastating catalyst for so many people into what catalyst always is without exception opportunity for service opportunity for growth yeah that website again was coronavirusarmy all one word dot org and um that i'm 
really inspired by the number of charitable funds springing up. Uh, you can probably find one for your locality or you can find some of the national ones that are springing up. Uh, if you would like one closer to you, um, they're pretty easy to find. It takes a little while for uh, charities and funds to really get up and running, but they're really springing up now and open for donations. And um, finding people who are experienced in serving communities and donating money to those people is a massive form of service as well. Uh, not everybody has the ability, the knowledge, the capability to just go out there and serve. So if you can find an organization that has experience doing so and can mobilize really efficiently, has the knowledge and ability to do so, um, that is a great place to put your money if you have any to spare. Uh, and that is definitely, I think, a form of service to do so. We should um, come equipped with a few more suggestions for anybody looking. Um, not that anybody can't find plenty of suggestions on their own, but um, I do recall reading that the Red Cross also is facing a shortage of blood due to um, people not coming out. So whether through money or donating blood, that's also a great one to support. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that I don't see a lot of talk about, but that I am very close to in my world, thanks to my partner, um, animal shelters are having a really rough go at things right now. And every animal shelter's needs are different. But um, if that is what moves your heart, then definitely reach out to your local animal shelters and see if there's anything that you can do, whether it's donating supplies or even fostering animals. Um, they're really heavily impacted at the moment. All right. So um, a dear friend of ours named Fox sent us this poem. And after some research, I was able to track down that it came from a mystical Christian monk. Very suitable a name uh, Richard Hendrick or brother Hendrick and it came it arrived uh, just several days that's probably mid-march and the poem is called lockdown we shared it on LL researchers Facebook and it rapidly became the single most um, reacted to and shared post on uh, LL's feed ever I will read it to you <clears throat> He writes, yes, there is fear. Yes, there is isolation. Yes, there is panic buying. Yes, there is sickness. Yes, there is even death. But they say that in Wuhan, after so many years of noise, you can hear the birds again. They say that after just a few weeks of quiet, the sky is no longer thick with fumes, but blue and gray and clear. They say that in the streets of Assisi, people are singing to each other across the empty squares keeping their windows open so that those who are alone may hear the sounds of family around them. <clears throat> they say that a hotel in the west of Ireland is offering free meals and delivery to the housebound. Today, a young woman I know is busy spreading flyers with her number through the neighborhood so that the elders may have someone to call on. <clears throat> Today, churches, synagogues, mosques, and temples are preparing to welcome and shelter the homeless, the sick, the weary. I know how... That remains true today. All over the world, people are slowing down and reflecting. All over the world, people are looking at their neighbors in a new way. All over the world, people are waking up to a new reality, to how big we really are, to how little control we really have, to what really matters, to love. 
So we pray and we remember that yes, there is fear, but there does not have to be hate. Yes, there is isolation, but there does not have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic buying, but there does not have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be disease of the soul. Yes, there is even death, but there can always be a rebirth of love. Wake to the choices you make as to how to live now, today. Breathe, listen. Behind the factory noises of your panic, the birds are singing again. The sky is clearing, spring is coming, and we are always encompassed by love. Open the windows of your soul, and though you may not be able to touch across the empty square, sing. By Richard Hendrick, March 13th, 2020. Thank you, Brother Richard. And thank you, Gary, too. Jim is normally really, really good at uh, doing <laughs> outro, um, but he is indisposed right now. I will say we are hoping to possibly continue doing podcasts like this on a more regular basis so long as this is ongoing and I'm really hoping that Jim can join for future ones and potentially have other guests on too to share their own expertise and experience but um, I think that while this is going on we'll try to be regular and try to focus on the coronavirus um, uh, epidemic pandemic um, but we really do uh, love each of you I guess I should say, too, if you have anything particular you want us to talk about, uh, about the coronavirus, please do send it in. Or if you just want to share something, uh, you can email us. It's uh, contact at llresearch.org. Um, or uh, if you just have any stories about what's going on, uh, want to share your feelings or anything like that. If you want us to share something on the podcast, we probably can't, you know, share everything that gets written in, but um, if there's something that is really worth sharing, uh, then send it in and we might be able to read it on the podcast. Um, or if you have any questions or concerns or spiritual perspectives you'd like us to discuss during this time of global catalyst, um, please do reach out. Uh, we are here and we really appreciate you listening. I hope that uh, you found some of this at least useful or comforting. It's really the most that we can hope for. And we really love all of you. And we ask everybody to just keep their hearts open and hold the world in their heart right now and uh, shine your light and reach out to others and see if there's anything that you can do to be of service in the world. Uh, we will talk to you soon.